0: Love,
1: Talk Radio. Yo, this is your boy, G-Ski Rocks. And this is going out to the lovely, lovely women of the world. I know sometimes you have to make a hard decision. But I want you to think about this.
2: Broadcast of Pro Life Fridays Radio. I'm on the air with my host, my co host, Thomas Smith. How are you, Thomas?
3: I am well, thank you. How are you, Letitia?
2: All right, doing pretty good, all things considered, because we've got tons and tons of news to go through and tons of stories to go through. But first, let us do our usual. Saying, does that sound right yeah. to you, coming out of my mouth?
3: Oh no, that's fine, Lucius. <laughs> you're the heart and you're the heart and mind of this show. You and <laughs> Melissa. So how
2: do how does that Whatever. black English sound to you?
3: <laughs> well, I I didn't know that there was a difference, but hey. <laughs>
2: Oh, I love anyway. you're you uh, you know you'll call me a smart cookie. I'll call you a smart cookie. Call it a day.
3: Yeah, smart cookies are really delicious. By the way.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's there's more to come, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, we're on a roll today. I'm all caffeined up oh, and ready yeah. to go. Oh, yeah. Ooh. So what well, is our scripture today? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh me. Totally
3: Yeah. Thirty, Verse 19, you know how we roll And it says this I record this day against you That I have set before you Life and death Blessing and cursing Therefore, choose life So that you and your seed might live Dear Heavenly Father In the mighty name of your Son Jesus Christ Lord once again, we thank you for an opportunity to host another episode of Pro-Life Friday's Radio, Lord God. Father, we are thankful for our three distinguished guests today. Dr. Day Gardner with the National Black Pro-Life Union and Paula Talley and Paddock Church of Reclaiming Royalty Ministries, Lord God. Father, we thank you for these Three powerful pro-life warriors, Lord God, Father, we pray that their message, their interview today, will be a blessing to all those listeners and to those who will be listening later in archives. Father, we bless you and we love you and we thank you for all that you are doing in the mighty name of your Son Jesus Christ. We pray, Amen
2: and Amen. Amen. Thank you, Thomas. Wow. So, where to begin today? Uh, I've got I've got a news feed that has just been overflowing with what's happening today. It's a big, big news day. So let's get started. Uh, the first thing I want to show to, to uh, showcase today is very interesting. Nidal Hassan, the Fort Hood mass murderer. Was found guilty in court today, and um, immediately everybody's like, "Kill him! Kill him!" Well, you know that kind of sounds a little harsh. Okay, he deserves the death penalty, and but I don't think that the words "kill him" actually reflect what I feel about that guy. I mean, I think that for some people, death is too good, but death I'll take the death pen- penalty. I'll take it's a very tr- it's, it's the the tragedy isn't what's going to happen to him. Um, and he can come and go, and I, I will not lose a drop of sleep over him. The only complaint I have with the trial is why it took so stinking long. As of this morning, the military was still paying his salary. And that's your tax dollars and my tax dollars, paying his salary. yes paying his salary while in prison for the murder of 13 servicemen. But none of his victims or his victim's families have received compensation for their losses because, as you know, him shouting Allahu Akbar was accurately translated by Pentagon officials to mean workplace violence and not Allah is greater. And I suppose that I mean that's all the justification anybody needs right so um that's that's that was a bit of good news that I wanted to throw out there only to make this next bit of news crash you down harder so that you all weep and cry. I uh shared this story last night um on my facebook Facebook wall, and apparently it has exploded all over uh the internet and uh, all over uh CNN and major news networks who thankfully have picked this up. Uh, that's only partial credit for them because their their losses, their misses are so much greater than their hits. But anyway, 89-year-old World War II veteran Delbert Belton was reported to have been beaten to death by two teenagers Wednesday night. Now he succumbed to his injuries in the hospital and died Thursday morning, but he was beaten so badly uh, according to the news reports, that the doctors could not stop his bleeding. So, Thomas, the CNN website shows uh, surveillance footage of the suspects. Two teenagers mm-hmm. who beat him, uh, and they beat him with flashlights. They didn't shoot him. They beat him with flashlights, and that will become significant in just a moment, um, both of whom are now caught. One guess as to what color these teens are.
3: Oh, oh, oh! Let me guess. Let me guess. Were they purple?
2: Uh, well, uh, you might want to go a little darker than that. I'm uh, oh, sorry. Okay. Was that the wrong thing to say? Oh.
3: Well, okay. Let's let's just say what it was. Let me guess. They
2: were black. That's correct. At least that's what the video surveillance shows, you know, because it's hard to tell what race somebody is based on the news reports that never mention the race of the suspects. I'm reading oh, and I'm wait, reading wait, and, wait. and I'm reading. Is teenagers? Just teenagers. Stop, stop, stop. stop. No, oh, that's
3: not correct. That's not correct. They call George Zimmerman uh-huh. a white Hispanic. Uh-huh. So do miss the race if it's black, if it's white on black crime or what they perceive to be white on black crime. But let me jump in here for just a second, and I'll throw your monologue back to you. Quite frankly, folks, I am sick and I am tired. I am disgusted with racism, period. And let me let me break something down to you liberals who may be le- lurking, and specifically you liberals who happen to belong to my community. I don't care what. Ignorance, how of mess you choose to believe, you commit a crime against a person based on the color of their skin, and you happen to be black when you do it against a person who's white, you're racist. I'm tell you something, liberals. You need to take the crap about you. A black person can't be racist because they're not in power. All you black liberals, folks—the same ones who hate them, who won't even support and stand up for the community that you that you care to love, folks—they're executing us to the tune of. 1,800 babies a day. That does not include the murders that happens to us. That's just abortion. Mm. But I don't care what anyone says. Let me tell you something, and let me tell you what this show stands for. All life is precious. And if you have a problem with our stance, this is not the show for you because I will love, and care for and grieve for a white baby as much as I would grieve for a black baby. A white That's life, right. a black life, any life. Folks, we have interviewed the wife of Pastor Pe- 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 Saeed, who is still in prison in Iran. If we did That's not right. care, she would not do what we do. And this is a message to all you liberals who are lurking. We care about life. Sorry, Letitia. I'm just, I'm pissed <laughs> no. about because enough is enough. Those people did not have anything to do with Trayvon Martin in that verse. Nope. But what gives you the
2: right? Ah, to- ah, oh. but I'm getting to that. I'm getting Ooh, to
1: that. Go ahead, go ahead. Look, go ahead.
2: All right, all right, all right. So, so, um. Well, let me get to that in just a minute. There there's so many things in this story that I want to tease out. That's why I needed that extra time. Okay, so let me get to it. So I'm re- so before because I know after what you just said and what I was gonna say, before anyone gets on our case to ask what relevance I have at pointing out the fact that these two teenage boys were black Because then you're gonna say, I'm oh, just racist Ugh before someone gets on my case to ask what relevance I have at pointing this out, I want to
4: point out again
2: that when the Trayvon Martin-George Zimmerman story broke, it was all about a white man, and they had to tack on the Hispanic part later because they found out that wasn't entirely correct. The white Hispanic man, because, the, I mean, who calls anyone anybody a white Hispanic? It's like black English. What the heck is that? A white Hispanic man killing a black teenager. There was no story that was written about the Martin Zimmerman story. There was no, no news outlet that did not mention the race of the two figures in that story. Yet, however, with this one, they never mentioned it at all. Well, thank you, mainstream media, for cherry picking what you choose to emphasize in a story. Because I have a suspicion that all these major news networks—CNN, NBC, and your ABC, NBC, CBS news reporters—and whoever writes the stories for them to speak on uh, on the six o'clock news or whatever—are not going to mention. What race these two teenagers were, because they don't want to prejudice anyone against the black community by saying, uh, by inferring, by with reference to their racial background, that all black teenagers are thugs. Not that anyone would think that, but they're so afraid that we would, that they're not going to mention it. But they're not afraid of mentioning the fact that George Zimmerman. Was not black And they wanted him to be white So badly That they called him a non-existent Racial name A white Hispanic In order to Enact some kind of Social revenge On the white community For being white And yes I do believe That's the whole point So getting back to our story that's the relevance I have at pointing out the fact that CNN did not mention the race of the, the two suspects. Now, you said Thomas that this has nothing to do with the Trayvon Martin case. Let's let's take let's take a listen at what the what the what the police chief had said. Two
3: suspects, both between 16 and 19 years old. They need to be caught, period. Because that's senseless, man. Beating an old man, what kind of person does that? Put a, uh, excuse the expression on a whim. Friends of Shorty have put up a memorial outside the pool hall.
5: Shorty. 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 Shorty.
3: As they hold out hope that the kind old man who gave so much for his country will get justice in the end.
2: Oops. All right, let me back that up. I Screwed up the audio there. Anyway, but I'm going to back that up and say that, um, point out that the police investigator had said that this was a random act. So that was a random act. They also say that it was considered a random act when the Australian baseball player was yeah. killed by. Two black teenagers and and one white looking teenagers. I have absolutely no idea if that's a white boy or not, but <laughs> I've seen black men look whiter than him.
3: let um,
2: <laughs> t-
3: t- t- Hold on yeah. for a second before you go on.
2: I wait go, wait, go. I need to get to the the, go ahead, the go point.
3: I got it. go ahead, go ahead. I apologize. All
2: right. Go All right. So So, because if I stop in the middle, everybody's going to say you're just a racist. No, the point is that these are called random acts of violence and random acts of murder. They called the 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 uh, the the murder of the Australian baseball player random because the teenagers involved in that were simply bored. They didn't give a better motivation. They didn't say because he was a white guy. They didn't say that. They didn't say anything or that he was rich. They actually had no idea who he was, and I'm not surprised that they had no idea who he was. All of this to say that it, somehow these two incidents seemed random. Well, are they really, really random? Or is it a result from the Black Panther Party, from the leader of the Black Panther Party, and Eric Holder? and the Obama administration people in the Obama administration and who is considered who are considered black community leaders saying that white people have to pay for the fact that George Zimmerman was found not guilty is it really random no i'm not placing.
3: that's a good point that's a good point that's i'm a very not good
2: placing point yeah well, I'm not placing murder at the hands of 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 Eric Holder, although I'm very tempted to, but it is the same thing as if we were to walk into a crowded theater wishing to do somebody harm and yelling fire so that somebody's going to end up getting hurt and somebody's going to end up getting trampled, but I didn't mean anybody in particular was going to get harmed or trampled or hurt or even killed. There is a level of plausible deniability, but not moral plaus- but not moral deniability, is what I'm saying. Right. How do you expect the teenagers of this country, of African black descent, who have no fathers, as that pointed out to me by my good friend, Wintry. Hi, Wintry, if you're out there listening, this is a shout out to you. How do we expect teenagers with no fathers at home, very terrible, who are put into terrible American school systems, not disciplined at all, and live in a culture where God is assumed not to exist, morals are relative,
5: and the
2: highest pursuit of the human life is personal pleasure, however temporary it is. How do you expect young people with no discipline who live in a culture like that to even care? So the whole, the whole story was, oh, my goodness, they killed an elderly man. He was a war veteran who fought on our countryside for good. How can they kill an old man? It's easy. When you don't have a conscience that is built into you from your culture, that's, that's how. And how can we build a culture with conscience if we are say it's legal to kill a child in the womb and a, and a woman has a right to do that? These teenagers can't learn to respect elderly people if they themselves, from birth, from before birth, from in the womb, haven't been re- taught the respect for life themselves. Leticia,
3: Leticia, I got to stop you. I got to stop you. I got to give you a vivid example. I, I'm going to be real. I'm going to be blunt, folks. I'm not going to use any bad words, but I'm going to be real and I'm going to be blunt. I am sick and tired of these young men and women who do these things, talking about what they did not have growing up. Folks, let me tell you something. I grew up in the system. It was so bad for me, I still to this day struggle to feel a part of any type of family. But let me tell you something, what I did not do and what I grasped I did not drink I did not smoke I did not do drugs Yes, I was angry at the world I went through a period in my life Where I hated everyone I had the hatred But I did not like people enough To want to hurt them Ruin their lives by killing someone I had the thought, but let me tell you what was happening when I was walking through that. I had a loving Father in heaven who was loving me, who despite the fact I was not paying attention, he was still reaching down his hand to me in love, who never gave up on me. So you know what? As far as I'm concerned, folks, they have no excuse. I grew up being told by my mom one guy was my father, only to find out in 1994 that it was a whole nother guy. And this individual later died. You know what? I didn't hold no grudge against him because this is how I think. You can't hold a grudge against someone you barely knew. So to the young men and women in our communities that's always coming with these excuses about how bad they had it let me tell you something you talk to me when you deal with health issues you talk to me when um you talk to me when you work three jobs go to school full-time, and you barely average three hours of sleep.
4: Right. Been there, right.
3: That's why I'm a college graduate today. And there was a period in my life where I did those things and I was living on the street. So let me tell you something. No more excuses for what we do and what we don't do.
2: Right, and ladies and gentlemen, I was actually going to use you as an example today, uh, but you go ahead, you have just jumped ahead of me, I don't mind, I don't mind at all, but I, I was going to say, ladies and gentlemen, that if anybody had has a right to complain about his circumstances, it is my friend Thomas here, because he has been... A victim of this liberal progressive system that parades as compassion for most of his life, and he has been been treated badly, I should say, because as a result, uh, in 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 more than one way, in more than two ways, in more than several ways. But his life is an example of how you can be a strong and a whole person who doesn't take it out on society, because it's not society that let him down. It's liberal progressives, let me tell you that. It's liberal progressives who think that people can be put into a system, quote-unquote, for their own good, but like every liberal social progressive social plan big idea they don't work and the truth is that they don't just not work they do the opposite of what is advertised that they would the welfare right. of the 19 welfare of the 1980s 1970s 1980s before welfare reform in the 90s took place was a horrific system of disempowerment, poverty, and that, that funneled people into dependence on the government and drug use right. and illegitimates. Right. When health care reform under the Clinton administration was enacted by Republicans, it helped people get off of welfare. Welfare should not be get more welfare. It helps people right. get off of welfare, find jobs, find stability in life to become productive, self-sustaining members of society. And what did the Obama administration just do in 2000, I believe it was 2010, start rolling back the progress, the
3: true and progress. Them all.
2: That's right. And that's what progressivism is. It's actually opposite, not as advertised. Progressivism is regressivism We're going backwards to a time Where things were worse for people Because there was rampant dependency And people feeling disempowered And out of that They caused the social problems that we have Because there's no direction in people's lives And the government, government takes its hands off Whenever it feels like it Just when people need some guidance the most to point them in the right direction. Some government agency and some some bureaucrat somewhere turns them around and says, "What you need is more dependency, not less." Exactly.
3: But anyway, that's
2: decide. Exactly. That's, uh, that's a little bit beyond the scope of what I wanted to say. But a great example of that is who's loving that Obamacare? UPS apparently doesn't. And the University of Virginia apparently doesn't love it as much as their voters thought they would, because they're dropping coverage for people that are now covered. There goes this idea: when uh, President Obama had said, "If you like your health care insurance plan, you may keep it," well, apparently you can't have it at all. <laughs> so, I mean, the, I mean, this has been a week of where I have just been the truth in advertising, truth in advertising, truth in advertising is echoing through my mind in in a way to point out that there is no truth in the advertised uh, liberal progressive programs that come out of Washington, D.C. But anyway, we have taken up a ton of time. We have promised to our guests we're going to take a very, very quick break. We'll be right back. If you have any questions or would like to call into the show, the number to call is 760-542-3907 to talk to you. The host, Thomas and myself, and our guests. Be back in just a moment.
4: We had a whole plan that sold abortions, and it was called Sex Education. Break down their natural modesty separate them from their parents and their values and become the sex expert in their life. so they turn to us when we would give them a low-dose birth control pill they would get pregnant on or a defective contract. Our goal was three to five abortions from every girl between the ages
3: of 13 and 18. The multitudes of people that have been hurt by abortion, is just unfathomable. That abortion is really, to me, the ultimate exploitation of women.
1: It is so shameful and secretive that many women don't tell anybody that they've had an abortion.
6: They won't say anything for 20, 30, 40, 55 years. They're so traumatized. Silence.
7: The U.S. Senate report states physicians,
0: biologists, and other scientists agree that conception marks the beginning of the life of a human being,
7: a being that is alive and is a member of the human species. There is an overwhelming agreement on this point in countless medical, biological, and
2: scientific writings.
6: Planned Parenthood is expanding now. They're building gigantic abortion clinics in anticipation of socialized medicine.
2: There's a lot of money involved. We never would take personal checks. We always encourage the ladies to bring cash. Why is that? Well, you don't have to report cash, friend. When you're fighting for your life, you need to know what you're fighting for. And if what you're fighting for is life, how do you destroy a life in an effort to fight that fight? I'm fighting so hard to save myself that I'll kill someone else to get that.
4: I recognized I'd been involved in the death of 35,000 babies. And the truth has really come out about what abortion does to women, let alone the unborn
2: baby, our dead babies. It will
5: and be...
3: welcome back. You're with Letitia, myself, Thomas, and it's already been a little hot, but you know what? It's about to get even more intense. On May 10, 2012, in Washington, D.C., there was a meeting that took place between the Congressional Black Caucus And I don't even know how to describe the organization, but just as liberals normally do, they break everything down into groups. And this was the congressional, I guess, the Congressional Progressive Pro-Choice Caucus. Now, they were meeting of all reason because um, there was inroads that was being made in trying to stem the tide of abortion in the black community and the pro-choice caucus had a problem with that and so did apparently (laughs) the Congressional Black caucus now Fortunately, just as God always does, he has his kids strategically placed to be in the den of the enemy and what and one of our guests today was one of four individuals who infiltrated that meeting on that day, and we've been trying to get her here for a long time to talk about that, but she's been busy with the powerful work that she's she's done. So, folks, Pro-Life Friday Radio, please join us in welcoming Dr. Day Gardner of the National Black Pro-Life Union to Pro-Life Fridays Radio. Dr. Gardner, welcome to the show, and thank you for coming.
4: Hello, and thank you for having me. You're very to the welcome. Show,
2: Dr. Gardner. Yay. Thank you.
4: <laughs> Thank you, glad to be here.
3: And we just we're just gonna jump to it because when we read that article, me and Letitia talked about it and I think we even did a show about it. That stunned that stunned us, especially the part I think it was you. In a, and it was LifeSite, It was either life News or site News that the article appeared in. But what, one of the individuals said that the Congressional Black Caucus knew the statistics of abortion in the black community, but they didn't seem to care. All right, could you just talk to us from the beginning, and, and we know you have a short amount of time, but tell us that process and that mindset and how that came about With the Congressional Black Caucus.
4: Well, the thing is that they do what uh, you know—they basically like to talk to their base and um, bring everybody, I guess, up to speed on where they are with things. I think one of the things that was that really shocked me um, upon entering. We have always felt—I've been doing this now for almost 15 um, years—and that's pro-life work that I'm talking about. And, um, you know, in all that time, it was, I think, all of my black brothers and sisters, the colleagues, the people that I work with, the uh, individuals and organizations across the country, um, the whole idea is that we thought, we, well, you know what, if we get blacks to understand the statistics with regard to abortion, what how abortion is decimating us as a community, as a body of people, and, you know, what's behind it all, who is behind it all, um, talking to our, our preachers and pastors, and getting the word so that they can get the the truth out to their congregations. I mean we thought once we do that, of course the i mean abortion community is just going to be turned on its head because all of a sudden for this large body of of people who they rely on heavily for uh, all of their blood money. If we were all to come out and say, uh uh, this is not happening in our community, we want you out of our communities, we want you out of our, we want you to leave our women, our children, our young girls alone, we are not going to continue to abort our children, to to kill our babies in this horrible manner, it is not okay with us. I mean, that's what we expected. Um, What we found was, of course, that in going into that particular meeting, uh, you know, I thought, well, once everybody hears the truth, and I went to this meeting to hear uh, basically, I knew that there were several um, people who were going to be there uh, blacks who were going to be there that were uh, supporting the abortion uh, lobby and who were very much in the pockets of uh, planned parenthood and 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 the the abortion um, groups um, but what I thought it was amazing because I thought well i'm going to go in here and I'm going to hear that all this stuff that they don't know and you know and hope afterwards I can talk to them and start to kind of let them know what the truth is and see if I can um, hopefully set up some separate meetings and maybe meet with some of these congressional people who were there uh, and maybe talk to some of the uh, people who were in some of these groups that were there um, and what I discovered in in sitting in there is that um, there I guess there were about maybe um, I would say roughly 75 to 100 people in this, this small uh, room and Um, I was surprised to find out that uh, these groups that included uh, a few um, black congressional members, um, the black caucus members, uh, one was Congresswoman Lee and uh, Donna Edwards uh, from Maryland, Congresswoman Edwards. And the thing is that they uh, openly stated that they know the statistics. They, you know, had no problems with the statistics. They know. Uh, what abortion is and what it's doing they know you know it's like they basically said well you know yes we know these things and um but we feel that you know this should continue because you know poor women and black women need abortion which that was their basic message and i kind of sat there kind of flabbergasted i thought it was really interesting because um you know I kind of walk, I was the first person to sign you know on the dotted line for this meeting when I walked up to the door. I took some of their literature that was on the table. I went in and sat there. I was one of the first people to take a seat and uh, it wasn 't until afterwards that I think that they really saw me for some reason. It just seemed that you know I, you know I always wonder how God does different things, so i didn 't go in to try to infiltrate or to hide in any way. I went very openly in. And sat down, I put down my name, uh, Day Gardner, president of the National Black Pro-Life Union, right on the first line. And so I wasn't going in there to be secretive at all. I was very open. And they basically, um, that's what that what I heard, was that they know the statistics, they know what it's doing to our community, they know it's decimating our community, and they want it to continue. And that was uh, very heartbreaking and, and shocking at the time.
3: Wow. Wow, Um, how do you follow that up with the question?
4: Um, Well, if we think about you know where we are today, of course I also (laughs) uh, sat in the courtroom um, with Kermit Gosnell up in Philadelphia. When uh, now Kermit Gosnell is the abortion doctor uh, from West Philadelphia. Uh, he's a black doctor he was um, actually and i use that term loosely i don't think of him as a doctor he was an abortionist he's a baby killer and he at west philadelphia he was uh, preying on his own community a lot of the people that he knew a lot of those people of the, the young girls and the women in that community he had been there for 30 some odd years and he was basically um, killing these children of course. You know, abortion is the one thing we, I abhor, I abhor all abortion from the very, you know, I think that all children, according to God's word, are deserving of life from the very moment of conception to the very end of natural death. And, you know, it's really uh, sad to think that this person was actually birthing these children. He was actually Mm -hmm. delivering them alive and then purposefully killing them afterwards. And some of these babies were uh, babies that would have survived. Could have lived, right. and he he basically is a murderer, so now he 's in prison he 's spending you know he has like he 'll be in prison for the rest of his life he 's seventy two years old and he 's never going to get out but there, the thing is that we have to understand that this is happening all over the country that there are blacks who know that this is happening, there are members of our own communities who know that these children are being uh, killed uh, in the most atrocious, the most horrible ways. And it's it's one of the things we have to find a way to wake them up, yet understanding that you know that many have scales over their eyes and they're not going to you know we i don't know how we get through to them, but to try to um have uh, help them to have a change of heart um but the bottom line is to save these children from this horrible death
2: wow um. Dr. Garner, this is Letitia. I just have this, yes. this uh, question. Is it ever talked about why women, it just seems like the the idea that women need abortion, and because women need abortion, it should be made legal and available for them at all costs, at any cost, regardless of the considerations. I mean, does anybody question that at all?
4: You know, I think the sad thing is that um, we have we have bought into the lie, many in our community have bought into the lie, that women, if you're poor, if you're, um, if you, if you're having very difficult times economically, if you're having problems with uh, work, if you're African Americans in minority areas, Planned Parenthood and most abortion facilities set up in black neighborhoods and in minority neighborhoods, the rest are usually around college campuses. But for the most part, they're in minority neighborhoods. And Alan Gutmacher, the research arm for Planned Parenthood, even comes out and says that, Correct. yes, that there's more than 75% or whatever of these facilities are in black neighborhoods. But the thing is that we are told that basically our children are of lesser value than white children. And, you know, it's, it's like, and we see that every night, every time you look at television, you see, you know, children abducted, these beautiful little girls, Kaylee and Haley and Amber and all of these people. Um, and the things, these beautiful children that are, are killed and are missing. And, uh, you know, because God loves all of us, all children, no matter what race they are. They're all beautiful. But you know what? The black children are beautiful, too. And why is it that in the media we don't hear an awful lot about children, black children, that are missing? Uh, You know, we we love them, too. And I think that we have to face the fact and the reality that there is a difference. There's a different value placed on African-American children, that they're just somehow not quite as precious as white children, which is totally ridiculous because we love all children the same, just as God loves all children the same. And I think right. that that's the thing we have to realize, that there is a lesser value put on black children. So, therefore, if a woman is poor, uh, if she you know, feels that she can't um, afford a child, well, it's like, well, go ahead and kill that child. But what we have to remember is that a poor woman who kills a baby, it's not going to change who she She's still going to be poor the next day. The only difference is that she's going to be the mother of a of a dead baby. She's still gonna be a mother right. because once your body starts to change your body changes. You can't go backwards from that. So the only the only change will be that she's still a mother but now she's the mother of a dead baby and we have to understand that.
2: Right. Yeah. And and that's I I don't know under I don't really understand how um abortion is sold. Even in, in, especially from our, I mean, what what got me so much, and I know I'm going all over the place. What what got me so upset was the Congressional Black Caucus refused to look at the facts straight straight up and see that this is not. Uh, uh, I mean, abortion cannot sustain. Abortion cannot. I mean. I don't even know what I'm saying. The black communities, numbers-wise, culture-wise, influence-wise, they are sitting on a a shrinking mass of land, for a, for a, I mean, a, no better analogy that I have. They, they're they trying to stake their claim in uh, the United States legislature, trying to provide black representation, but they are undermining their own reason to be.
4: Well, you're absolutely right in the sense of abortion. Yeah. Well, in the sense that we at one time were the largest minority in the United States, and of course that no longer is the case. And we have to realize that that fact is due at least in part uh, due to the fact that we are aborting uh, in such large Mm -hmm. numbers. And the thing is, in recent years, the abortion numbers have dropped, but they have dropped predominantly among uh, whites, that blacks are still, the abortion numbers among blacks are still rising. And again, the, the reason is because they're put they're put in our neighborhoods right around the corner. We're told that, you know, it's the best thing if we want to ha- finish school, if you want to have, uh, you know, a good life, if you want to be able to afford things, if you're poor or whatever, for whatever reason, that, you know, it's best to abort your child. But what's really wonderful in the sense that God is so great and we have to give all glory to him is the fact that. Um, children, um, we're with three and four D ultrasounds, and with modern technology, we're finding that these children now—you can see pictures of these babies in the womb. You see that they are—they are not blobs of tissue; they are not just—you know—we can uh, 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 un- see the humanity of the child. And I think that that's what's phenomenal—that that God has allowed. Uh, for this wonderful uh, technology to be available, that we can see this. And what it is doing is that our young people, especially the younger people, are, they get it. Uh, many young blacks all of a sudden are saying, wait a minute, you know, uh, where uh, I used to go to the March for Life um, years ago when I first started and to see very few blacks. And, and now it's just wonderful not to only see the numbers of blacks growing who are marching for life, but at the same time uh, many of them, And many of them, uh, large numbers of black youth, young people who understand that there's no stigma that was uh, like there may have been involved years and years ago, back in the uh, 50s and 60s and even the 70s. If you were uh, an unwed mother, the stigma that was, uh, you know, that made it seem like you were a bad person or a bad girl or whatever, that stigma is not there anymore. And these young kids are understanding and realizing, you know. Okay, so I'm I'm pregnant. It's, it's not the end of the world, and it is not the end of the world. It is not the unforgivable sin all, either. That God loves you no matter what.
3: Hey, Doctor Gardner, I have. Um, I know that your time is limited, but I have a question that was submitted to me. So, so the question is kind of is kind of pretty long, but um, what are our next steps? And who, to whom do we take the message? Who will respond with conviction? Pastors, or do we look outside the Black and Muslim communities?
4: I think that the the answer to that is to start with your within your own family, within your own household and to make sure that people understand the truth. You know, nobody wants to see – there are a lot of photographs of dead babies, of the aborted babies. And, you know, I remember – you know, nobody wants to see those horrible pictures. They're just horrible, mutilated children where you can see hands and severed feet and decapitated heads of babies. And these are babies, many of them, who were viable, you know, delivered and then killed, like Osnell's children and like Doug Carpenter's children out in uh, Houston, Texas, who he takes um, pleasure, some kind of crazy pleasure, and, you know, the way that he kills the children is really horrible. I mean, uh, there's another video uh, that former workers have come out to talk about how he kills children. And, you know, this, if the most important thing is to to say, you know what, either we can continue to um, hide or and shield our eyes, Or we can face the truth, look at the truth and say, this is what abortion is. This is what it does. This is what it does to children. It mutilates children. Here are the pictures. It does what it does to women. So many women uh, are hospitalized. So many women are um, emotionally uh, have uh, uh, suffered horrible uh, trauma, and many women have died from abortion. So what we have to yeah. do is the truth within our own families, and then step out to our congregations, to our church, to our friends, um, you know, our very best friends. And it's it's time that we start talking about it. This has been a secret within the black family and the black community way too long. It's time to start talking about abortion, what it really is. And if you're a Christian, then stand on the word of God and speak up to tell the truth.
3: Amen.
2: Amen. Wow.
3: Amen to that. Wow, <clears throat> Doctor Parker. Before you go, tell everyone about the show you do on Fridays uh, as part of Star Parker's Network. <laughs> yes,
4: I uh, actually I didn't realize that they were named uh, the same. Uh, it, actually, it's, we do a Pro Life Friday also, and this is on Star oh. Parker's Cure America every Friday morning from nine to ten. I do uh, Pro Life Fridays for Star and um it's on urban family talk and we'd love to have you and have uh, some of your listeners tune in to hear us also
2: awesome, awesome. would love Amen. to see that happen
4: well, and I just want to thank you guys for, for having us on. It's been really a pleasure, and um, Thomas especially, you know, we've been in touch with Facebook friends, <laughs> and uh, I just really appreciate all that you do, all of your work. It's so important to get the information out, and you're very good at doing what you do, and God has definitely blessed you. Oh,
3: well, well you, you know, stupid dog, part of live radio, but, uh, you know, Dr. Gardner, I got to give credit where credit is due because uh, Leticia is the heart and soul of this show. I just kind of get to sit back and ask questions when I need to ask questions, but she is the heart and soul of this show, kind of like the engine that drives this car.
5: <laughs> so she's a...
3: Amen. She's, no you, know, you want to talk about you want to talk about what God is doing. Because, you know, at the end of the day, we're all in this fight together. Amen. And, um, you know, thank you so much for the work that you do. And I, and as you go, I, this last statement for all to hear, you know, while we're doing the work that we're doing in trying to end abortion, what? I believe is going to be the ultimate demise of abortion are the testimony of the women who have actually lived through and experienced the lives of Planned Parenthood, the National Abortion Federation, and the other privately owned abortion organization, the post-abortive mom. So, with that, Letitia, throw us to commercial and Doctor Gardner, God bless you, and I hope to see you
4: in Washington DC next time. <laughs> Thank you, and I hope to meet you too, Letitia.
2: All right, I would certainly <laughs> love to. Thank you for being on the show. We'll talk to you next time. Bye bye.
4: Take care. God bless. Bye bye. Yeah.
6: Society can prevent those who are manifestly unfit from continuing their kind. Three generations of imbeciles are enough. I do not join in the belief that the African is our equal in brain or in heart.
7: We are paying for and even submitting to the dictates of an ever-increasing, unceasingly spawning class of human beings who never should have been born at all.
6: The laws of nature require the obliteration of the unfit. The best way to hate a nigger is to hate him before he is born.
7: American eugenicists were routinely praising Hitler and holding up the Nazi eugenics program as a model for the United States to copy
6: Non-white races must be excluded from America. The red and black races, if left to themselves, revert to a savage or semi-savage state in a short time. The only way possible of decreasing Negro population is by means of controlling fertility birth control facilities could be extended relatively more to Negroes than to whites, since Negroes are more concentrated in the lower income and education classes. We hope that the restraint of population growth can come about through voluntary means, but if it does not, involuntary methods will be used.
7: There should be national sterilization for certain dysgenic types of our population who are being encouraged to breed and would die out for the government not feeding them.
6: If this movement continues, we soon may be accused of fighting poverty by eliminating the poor and overcoming hunger by removing the hungry. For all their failures, what the eugenics movement had accomplished was to lay the foundation for the next phase of their plan. And this is where they would find the success that they had been chasing for over 100 years.
4: And
3: welcome back to Pro Life Fridays Radio here on Pro Life Fridays Radio. Now, you know, I like to say that every now and then in life, we get to meet many, many, many special people. Excuse the squeaking of the door. And a few weeks ago now, I had the honor and the pleasure of meeting two special women, actually met a lot of special people at this event. But these two kind of uh, really touched really touched my heart. Um, they're connected in their ministry. Um, sometimes when you meet people and their stories impact you in such a way that you just want to give that person a hug, that was kind of my encounter with Miss Paula Talley. Um, and last week, a young lady who's on the board of her ministry shared her story. She shared her story. So this week, we have woman of God whose heart and love for people is extraordinary, and it's genuine. Please join me for Life Fridays listeners in welcoming a very dear friend of mine in just, just such a short amount of time. Thank you, Lord. Welcoming this Paula tally of Reclaiming Royalty Ministry and her Board member, Mrs. Pat Upchurch, back to the show. Ladies, welcome back.
7: Hello. Again. Hi, Thomas. Good afternoon.
0: Uh, Good
2: to talk to, Hi, Polly to ha- have you. Hi, Paula. Hi, Pat. Welcome to the Pro Life Rise radio program again. Wonderful to have you.
7: Thank you.
3: Thank you. I'm just I'm just wanting you to just start from the beginning, share your heart and then share how reclaiming royalty ministry, how God birthed that in your heart. So okay. just take it away, start sharing your story. Thank you.
7: Well, first of Your all, day. I'm honored that you've invited me to be on the show. Thank you all very much. And I'm so glad that my friend Pat up Church is here with me as well because uh, we work well together and uh, love what we're doing. So to begin with my story, um, I'm a post-abortive woman who um, had an abortion many, many years ago. But the thing about it is you never forget the abortion. I was a young mother uh, who was single, and I had two daughters and had gone through a divorce, which made me very bitter and angry because of what happened. So I decided that um, I had not worked in eight years that I was going to have to uh, find something, a career where I could take care of my daughters. And I decided to get into the travel industry and with that I had the opportunity to travel quite a bit and so I was traveling to a state um, one week and having dinner in a restaurant and a gentleman came up and asked if he could have dinner with me and I said yes and then as the story goes I said the rest is history I found out that I was pregnant, and I was afraid, devastated, did not know where to go. I felt like that if um, my ex-husband's family found out, and he found out that my children would be taken away from me because I was a struggling mother, even though people said I looked like a jet setter, I wasn't. Um, I mean, I was blessed in traveling, but I still struggled financially. And I knew that their father, who had remarried, would um, take them. So I told my boss what had happened, and that I was pregnant. And she said, you're going to have to have an abortion. And I didn't even know about abortion then. I mean, I was clueless, so to speak, And that was actually about four years after Roe v. Wade was legalized. So she went with me to the abortion clinic. And I can remember locking in the door, and I felt so low. And I was a born-again Christian at the time, so I share that only because I know that there's Christian women out there who may have done the same thing, and they think they can't be forgiven. I felt, I've been reading in Psalms about David, and he was a man after God's own heart, and yet look what he did. But when I walked into the clinic, I turned around and I said, I can't go through with this. I told my boss, I can't go through with this. And she said, you don't have a choice. And in my mind, I knew I had a choice, but I was making the wrong one. And so I remember going upstairs to where all the women were who uh, were having the abortions. And I had been told I had the mercy gift. So, you know, I can step right into someone else's heartache or pain, and it just, I can see it. It's a discernment. And these women looked so broken, just like I was. And one by one by one, we went into where um, the... Abortion doctors were and had the abortion. And it was horrific. It was horrendous. And I came home and I remember all the pain, and I'm talking about not only emotional but physical pain that I suffered from that abortion. I hid that from everyone with the exception of maybe three close friends. And I it's interesting how I just, uh, I've worked with Dr. David Reardon with Elliott Institute, and he's written many books on and done research on abortion. And it was interesting what he wrote, and we talked about this, but women of abortion go through many things. They go through denial. They become promiscuous. Because, you see, we don't care anymore. At least I didn't then. It's like my life is is ruined. I could put up a facade, but inside I was an empty soul. And so I didn't care anymore, and I felt like men continued to leave me because when I was young, I was in a dysfunctional family with a father who didn't treat me well, and he left. And then when I moved to Memphis from the southeast Missouri, I remember my front uh, picture was on the front page of uh, the Memphian newspaper, and um, some uh, uh, legionnaires had came in town and wanted me to do a dance on Main Street. And two days later, an executive from a large bank called, and he asked me, are you Paula Kish? And I said, yes. And he said, you're beautiful. Well, he started to pursue me. And I was young and naive, and it was maybe three weeks later that he came to the bank on a weekend and he forced himself on me. So I not only went through that and and his possessiveness, but then I went I finally broke that off and went through um a date rape. So you can only imagine as a young person how I was just messed up. And but I felt like that I was fine when I was married. You know, I had beautiful girls, all was well. Until my husband left So I went through Seven years Of drinking And uh, there's a story in a book Called Motherhood Interrupted That fits my story Along with 14 other women And it's the title is True Princess And um, it tells about All that happened in my life But I didn't care anymore Life was just In fact It's also been proven that women who have had abortions will uh, try to commit suicide. And I did. And I drove my car to the Memphis, uh, to the uh, river, to the bluff, Memphis Bluff. And I sat there and I thought, okay, I'm going to drive my car off in the river and no one will ever know what's happened. They'll never know. I was that depressed. And I opened up, I had no money, and I opened up my phone and there was a card from my mother, and it said, don't quit. When things get tough, as they sometimes will. And I began to sob, and I thought, I can't do this. I have two daughters that I have to raise, and I love them with my very being. So I didn't obviously didn't commit suicide, but I went through many, many more years of just um, secrets. And in 1987 was the year that God brought me back home, just like He did the prodigal son. I my mother passed away, and many many other things were happening in my life that I won't even go through all that. But a young man who saw me in a beauty pageant when I was young told me that he was in love with me when we were younger, but he could only be friends if I I wouldn't marry him, and I didn't. So his father told me I should call and talk to him, and I thought, well, he's married. I shouldn't really do that. But the way his father spoke, he wasn't. So I did. And when he called me, It was just like we had talked yesterday, and he was an awesome young man. And, of course, we were older then, but he said, I remember him saying, Paula, are you still as beautiful as you always were? And I jokingly said, Larry, come on. You know, we've aged. I have wrinkles. I color my hair. He said, no. Are you still as beautiful on the inside as you always were? And that was the Larry Talley that I knew. And seven months later, he came back to Memphis for the second time, and we married, and I moved to St. Louis. And he, on the same weekend that he came there, he said that he went to his hotel and that the Lord just took him to his knees because he had been living a life just like I had. And he said, "Paul, God, you spoke to me, and my life is going to change. So it, it was as if both of us had been brought back home together. And we had a beautiful marriage for 12 years, given the fact that he also uh, found out that he had lung cancer and he had a heart attack. But I said, I'm glad that I was the one that could be with him because I loved him so much. And when he died, I had a friend say, Paula, you're going to have a ministry from this death of Larry. And I said, I, what ministry? I, I'm grieving over my husband. She said, just, the just, Lord just given this to me. You're going to have a ministry. And I began to read the prayer of Jabez every day, the prayer of Jabez. And so I thought, okay, Lord, I could minister to widows. I can minister to divorcees. I can minister to single women. You, I, I'm, I'm taking you at your word to enlarge my territory. In 2004, <clears throat> I was working for a large corporation, a travel corporation, and I knew things were beginning to happen, and I felt like I was going to lose my job. And I'd been there 17 years and had an excellent job. But changes were taking place. I remember um, I had, first of all, come to the point where I was ready to speak out about my abortion. And that was the Holy Spirit. And so I was so stressed out, I went home, went to bed. In the meantime, I totaled my car. I woke up the next morning, dropped to my knees and said, Lord, take me home, please. You know, uh, enough. And it's like, no, you're not ready. You're not ready. And I looked outside and I saw that beautiful sun, and I thought, "Okay, Lord, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do whatever You want." And I walked into the living room, where my oldest daughter was sitting, and we always take coffee together. And I said, "Honey, we need to talk." And she said, "Okay, Mama, what, what are you gonna talk about?" And I said, "Well, I have something to tell you, and I hope you're not too shocked, but I've had an abortion." And she was shocked. She couldn't believe it. And she said, Mama, how could you go so long? It was 20 years. How could you go for so long? And I said, because I wanted to hide it. I didn't want anybody to to judge me. I'm sorry, Jill. And that was my fear that my girls would turn from me. And, you know, she said, and it's interesting, I said this when I spoke. She said, Mama, we could have had a brother. So fast forward and I left Merit's Travel and God began to just work in my life and all of a sudden people are calling me about the pro life movement. They heard that I'd stood up in my church and I spoke and and talked about my abortion. And that's when I was invited to Rama in Kansas City, Missouri, a Rama conference, and Alan Parker was there. And I thought it was a new She's very distinguished. She and his wife, and I thought, but here's all these women, and this man and his wife. What I didn't know was Alan was looking for a state leader for every state to uh, speak out on pro life, and he invited me to their luncheon, and I was on their television show the following week and worked with him, and became their state leader. This is just how God works. I thought, you're just amazing, Lord. And so with that, I began traveling with Alan and, and other women from Operation Outcry. And, of course, Pat Upchurch, she will speak up. She she was there on the television show as well, Faces of Abortion. But the Lord used me. I, I, I started to count because I journaled. I, I've, I've spoken to, and I'm sure Pat has as well, I've spoken to hundreds and hundreds of women. And they would cry. And they'd say, I can't be forgiven. I can't be forgiven. And I said, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Because I know I am. And it's not the unforgivable sin, which they think that it is. And I did too. And then they began to heal. And I began to heal. And I went to a, this is where Pat Up Church comes in. I went to a forgiven and set free Bible study and Pat Was one of the leaders And we became friends And that weekend We named our babies And I wrote a poem For my child Jeremiah And that Released me I can only say In that whole entire weekend I said when I drove home I could have flown And not even taken a 747 I would have just taken off because I felt
3: free. Oh, that's sweet. That's sweet. You know, you're not supposed sorry. to make the guys cry, right? You're not supposed to make the guys cry.
7: <laughs> don't tell me you're crying, Thomas.
3: Well, you know, know, but you know what? I'm very, I'm very sentimental, but I just wanted to tell you, um, Pat had an appointment, so she had to take off. But, uh, but uh, he said, "Oh, he I'm loves sorry." Yourself. No, no,
7: it's fine. No, she had an appointment
3: at 6. Okay. Oh, okay. But
7: go ahead. Well, um, when you talk, you had asked about our ministry, Reclaiming Royalty Ministries. Yes. Yes. Pat, um, you know, we had several people on our show, our television show called Faces of Abortion, Pat being one of them. And um, several others. So I was down there several times. I would take people to the television show in San Antonio. And this is where the ministry started. Um, I was on the one show where I noticed this woman who wore men's clothes. And she had her hair cut short and she wore no makeup. And uh, there was just something about her. And that was the first day she arrived. The second day she arrived, she had on pink (laughs) flip-flops. And I thought, well, this is interesting. And she went over to the makeup artist, and the makeup artist put makeup on her. And she walked onto the set, and she told her story. And it broke my heart. There was just something special about her. And she had been through sexual abuse, drugs. She was married to a drug dealer then who we took a collection to help her get a divorce, Um, just raped, you name it. I mean, all of the trauma that could take place in that woman's life was there. And when she walked off, she went over to the makeup artist. And the makeup artist said, let me show you how pretty you look in the mirror. And she's, oh, no, oh, no, no. I don't look in mirrors. I don't have any mirrors in my home. I, I, I'm i ugly. And that made me realize what self-esteem can do to a woman.
5: When right. we've
7: been abused or rejected. You know, Beth Moore has a great book out about um, so long insecurity. And um, it's wonderful for any woman who wants to read it. But she just touched my heart, and I said, I'm going to stay in touch with you. And so I came back to St. Louis, and it was in the fall that I went to a place called the Skin Institute to get a massage. And they asked me what I did, and I said, well, I'm the state leader of Missouri for Operation Outcry, and they said, would you be interested in having an event here for uh, the Justice Foundation, Operation Outcry? And inviting women who are underprivileged. Oh, I was so excited. I thought, oh, Lord, I, I love this. And so I said, yes, I will. We'll put it together. And we did with our, our ladies in and Thrive and uh, the women who, some were pregnant, some had had their children. But what was so awesome was that they felt um secure. They felt comfortable, and they opened up, and they began to talk, and I loved that. They shared their stories, and we shared, you know, uh, from the word, and talked to them about Jesus Christ, and told them how beautiful they were inside out, inside out. And from that, the Lord just led me on to one event after another and it continued to grow. It was International Women's Day. Then we have a trailer park called Greenfield Manor that our church helps and we even put a church there at Greenfield Manor and I began working there with all of the children and, and grew so close to those kids and they wanted me to talk to their parents. So as I began to meet the parents, I found out what they were going through. It was abortion, rape, divorce, depression, you name it. And these women had were dealing with oh, drugs, was another one, a big time. They were dealing with all that. So I decided, I went to my pastor and said, I think we need to have a makeover for the women at Greenfield Manor. Because they have no money, they they don't feel good about themselves, and they need to know Jesus. They need to know Jesus. So we did that. We took our church bus, drove through the um, trailer park, and picked up 15 women from Greenfield Manor. Out of all of those women, I think maybe six or seven were saved. But um, at that luncheon that day, just to give you an idea, and this is what happens at every luncheon that we've had since, or a full day. We do a continental breakfast. Then we have a workshop, a dream workshop. Then we have men who dress up in uh, black pants, white shirts, and ties, so they feel like they're very special, and they wait on them. We have a, a, a luncheon. And they wait on the women. Afterwards, I had a singer, Pam Green, who is awesome. She's a gospel singer. And she sang two gospel songs. They all began to cry. Then afterwards, my pastor came. And I was so excited that this big salon allowed us to come in as a Christian organization and to share the gospel. And, I mean, even the the stylists were walking in and listening. And Pastor John shared the the gospel. Afterwards, we had three pastors there, a Filipino pastor, we had a Russian pastor, and we had Pastor John. And I began to call out names. And one by one, the pastors would walk up, and they would put a, a tiara on their head. A silver, uh, not silver, rather, but a, a purple sash around them, just as if they were in a beauty pageant or if they were a princess, and hand them roses. And those women cried and cried. So I know, you know, to God be the glory for all that he's done through these events to little girls that were from 5 to 11 We had a little princess day The Thrive The Crisis Pregnancy Center the Our ladies Inn We had over 150 there And we uh, took them into a chapel And preached to them And spoke to them Gave them the word So that's how Reclaiming Royalty began And Pat Up Church As you said She's now on the uh, board So um, if you'd like to ask questions, I apologize that
3: I've talked so much. <laughs> oh no. No, 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 you're fine because that's that's how we that's how we roll. Uh, when okay. someone has a powerful testimony that mm-hmm. needs to be shared, we let them share. Now, um, I don't know if Leticia has any questions that she would like to ask. I know that she's preparing for the. Stupidest episode, or I forget what she calls it. Just our stupidest <laughs> no, thing of the here.
2: day. I'm here. Well, uh, yeah, I I I was only ask um, Paula. Um, what uh, when you when you want to talk to people, and then you're you consider we consider your pro, your ministry a pro-life ministry, and so much of it comes from your experiences. Um, but let me ask you a question that I ask a lot of our guests who have gone through their abortion experience. Did abortion help you? Because we are always told that women need it in order to do whatever they wanted to do in life.
7: Did it help you? No, of course not. Abortion no, it is wrong. Abortion is wrong. And, um... That's why I've spoken out so many times. It it can't mm-hmm. help a woman. It destroys her. Uh, she can be forgiven, as I was, and know that Christ loves her. But it, it destroys your self-esteem. Uh, it, it tears you down. Depression doesn't help you. Uh, drinking doesn't help. But that's a way of trying to deal with an abortion. Promiscuity. Mm-hmm. What does promiscuity do? It only makes you feel more worthless than you felt. So I've I've been in the state capitol with Planned Parenthood, and Dave Reardon and I've given my uh, testimony, and Planned Parenthood looked at me like they'd like to walk over and and cut my head off. Uh, You know, I, I know because I've dealt with Planned Parenthood all over the U.S., and they don't get it. They do not get it that I have two daughters who I love, and I took the life of a child. I took the life of a baby. And women need to know before they even consider it what it will do to them. Mm. And I tell, I tell many young girls that, think twice. You know, obviously the best thing to do is stay abstinent until you're married. Mm -hmm. And that was my goal when I was young. Because if Mm -hmm. you're abstinent and then you marry the one you love, then you're in God's will. And that doesn't even become a concern. But our world today, the morals have changed so much. You know, the morals have changed. And it breaks my heart when I see these young people who they don't care, and they need to care. And where is that coming from? Their home life. Their um, home life. I
2: really, I I I, can, I echo that. Um, you know, I don't think they're taught to care because right. the the examples they have are of people who take their their sexuality very flippantly. I, I don't do. think that women women aren't treated as as human beings are treated as objects to to have sex with. And women treat now, each other uh, like
7: that. Yeah, it, that's true in, in probably the majority of the cases. I have to say that there's many godly men that I respect since I've been in pro life. And um women can allow that to happen based on how they behave. Uh it can be the men they're involved with. Um I had a godly mother who loved me, but I didn't have a godly father, and um, I was not treated well. Um, so, young girls, if they don't have a father uh, image, they can grow up, and they and only I, and only until they know how much Jesus loves them, can they turn their life around. You know, and we still Amen. we're human, so we it, we I mean we have temptation. But what did God say there's not any temptation that he can't uh take us away from you know that that jesus had so but but I've found that girls who did not have a father image have mm-hmm. uh they're more likely if they've been sexually abused they're more likely to have an abortion that's been proven um if they're raped, then they may have an abortion right because they they don't love themselves they don't um, love who they are and we and and what's so exciting is that i finally realized i have a heavenly father who loves me more than anyone could amen he loves me more than anyone could and he'll never reject us He'll never reject us, And he's a gentleman. And what I have to share this. I put this on Facebook that I, I said last night, you know, I was laying beside a man in bed. And I'm single. And I said, I went on to say it was Jesus. I mean, I just got this picture of Christ and how he lovingly put his arms around me and said, you're safe. I'm taking care of you. Mm. You have nothing to worry about. And someone, a good friend of mine said, oh, Paula, she said that first comment scared me. (laughs) I said no. (laughs) So um, ask me anything you want that can help these women out there who are contemplating an abortion or I think most, what's most important for the women who are listening, if you've had an abortion, just know that there's healing. Mm. And I know women who sit in silence in churches. Right. And they won't speak up because they're afraid they're, they'll be condemned and right. judged. And that breaks my heart.
2: Right. It it, it 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 is. That's that's a different question that I have had in in my mind is, um, you know, I I've never been in a in a church, but I've only heard about other churches that seem really harsh and condemning, and judgmental of women who have had abortions or women who or girls who get pregnant. So so that they almost they they have that pressure to um to hide their pregnancy and get an abortion That's because wrong. they don't want to live through because they don't want to live through the perceived shame, you know in my experience, I have never experienced a church that had that attitude. Now, I have been to a good number of churches in my life and I've never experienced that attitude. So there might there may be a segment of American society and American churches out there that take that attitude and they are judgmental, but I have not seen it. And I'm inclined well, to I'll give people the benefit of the doubt. Yes that, that yeah, might be but you know, I don't know that I've ever experienced somebody who criticized a, a girl for getting pregnant. Um in fact just the opposite. People realize that a girl who is, is a you know, a teenager especially or a young woman who needs help, they go out of their way to try yeah. to provide help for her. I have never heard yeah. of anybody wag their seen anybody wag their fingers at a woman, in fact, um, there was a young woman a long time ago uh, at, at one church that I was at when I was younger um, who had who had a son. Um, and she was single.
5: She became a single
2: mom. And we in the church threw her a baby shower for the second time she got pregnant. And we all wow. understood because... Because her situation, she had been a former drug user. People took sympathy mm-hmm. on her. We did not blame her for her choices because a lot of things was psychological. She felt that's right. And she felt that's like right. she, her life that's was right. kind of out of control. So other people were thing, taking advantage of her.
7: Right. And you know the other what? Other people the were. Best thing, Oh, the other. You mean the people surrounding her outside of the, the church? The people, yeah.
2: right, right. The people surrounding her outside of the church. The men who were coming over and and trying to take advantage of her. They took advantage of her, and right, she did not right. know how to take care of herself. So, I mean, long, I mean, long story short. I don't think really concerned pro life people blame young women for being in a situation. That, um, is, that ends up harming them. Right. I, I think that part you of it, it in the church.
5: church. Go
2: ahead. Right. Right. And, and <laughs> church, the church folk that I was with, we all pitched in to help her to, to deal with her circumstances. Right. But and you so there's you know, part of me is. Go ahead.
7: Well, I just was going to say that there are churches, I think that the congregation, many of them are ignorant of the, and I don't mean they're ignorant, but they're ignorant of the fact of abortion. They don't understand Mm. it, and they don't know how to deal with it, and when I stood up and I stood up in um, several churches, but this last church I stood up and, and spoke, and one of the women, you know, they've been protected all their life. They, they came mm-hmm. from good homes. You know, they don't understand that. And she said, I just can't understand where you're coming from. I'm sorry. And you know what? It's okay. Hmm. It's okay. Yeah.
5: But
7: women need healing. They need Bible study groups, and there's major Bible study groups out there that can help these women, but the pastors need to know about that. There's Saved One. There's Forgiven and Set Free. There's Rachel's Vineyard, which is through the Catholics. Uh, Forgiven and Set Free through Thrive. Uh, Saved One, Sheila Harper out of Nashville. And I've taken, I've gone to conferences, I've taken the Bible studies, and that helped me. So much when I went through that Bible study, because these women they don't even know the post abortive women they don't even know what they feel sometimes You shut down
2: you right. can everything right and and you you kind of have to uh in order to kind of shield yourself from the pain.
5: And exactly. I think
2: that that the people who support abortion and they say women need it and women are helped by it, I don't think they understand uh, that it is not a solution. Uh, just making a baby disappear. <laughs> I, I mean, that's no. how I think that's how a lot of people look at abortion. They think a baby just disappears. They don't understand that you have to kill that baby.
7: Exactly. And
2: and uh, put the woman. Through so much pain and horror, I mean, I I have asked every guest uh, in the last couple of months who have a, have a, a, a story about abortion and their post-abortion experience. Did now? I, I know I'm jumping around, so bear with me. Did you receive any type of counseling? Did you before the abortion happened? Did anybody sit you down and say, "This is what's going to happen," and? Um, and do you understand what we're what what is ha- what what we're seeing, what we're talking about? No, no,
7: no, no.
2: No. If, if had you have golden neck
7: na- I'm sorry.
2: Go ahead. Oh, you can tell me. Uh, just one more question. Did you, had you ever seen the abortion doctor before ever? No. Before before your abortion, no. That what that is the consistent answer from every one of our guests. I
7: know. Now, I'm sure it is. You, <laughs>
2: If Absolutely. you even have, if you even need to go to the dentist to have a tooth removed, your dentist will tell you at length what's going to happen, the procedure, and you have a choice to, to, have your tooth removed that day or wait. You have total autonomy to make that decision. Exactly, exactly. But somehow, women in their most vulnerable time do not have. It's like they don't have permission. From the
7: doctor, whether to refuse or not. No. No. Not at all. Not at all. And I've been very vocal. I've, you know, I've spoken with Dr. David Reardon. We've gone to the White House. We've gone to the state capitol. You know, I said, if you Googled my name at one point about three years ago, um, you would have thought that I was the most horrendous person in the world. Because they made me look like chopped liver because of mm-hmm. me standing up for the different, <clears throat> you know, uh, different um, legislative um, laws that they were trying to pass. And I remember calling Dr. Gl- um, Reardon one day, and I said, Dave, I was crying because I saw what was being said about me. And I said, I feel like chopped liver. Mm-hmm. And he said, but you know what, Paula? You've been crucified in Christ. You've been crucified in Christ, and that's why sometimes you know we can get discouraged when we're speaking out. But we're on a battlefield. We're you know on a battlefield, and we have to fight the battle. Right. We have and and hope that that others heal. And that that the ones who are the pro-choice uh, people will come to the realization that it's wrong. That that they're on the wrong side. They're on the wrong side. You know, I, I know Democrats who are pro-life. I've worked with pro-life Democrats, and I was so excited I could hardly stand it. It's like you're a liberal <laughs> and you're pro.
2: <laughs> Yeah, I'd like to see one Me too. Oh, I know two of them that have been in the state <laughs> capital. I'm sorry, that was that was mean. I kinda I kinda said it no, like, I'd okay. like to see one like they were in a zoo. I'd like to see one. Yeah. But no,
7: they're, they're out there. They're out there. So you can I mean, even though I know it's the Liberals against the Conservatives, you know, it's so easy to just categorize everyone. But when you meet someone who who knows the Lord and they love the Lord and they're pro life, it's just I don't know. It just does something for me. It's like right. thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.
2: Well, we are thankful. You know, I am thankful for your story. And as as much as every woman goes through you know individual pain and individual suffering and has a has unique set of circumstances, just the way that every woman has been treated by the pro abortion uh side of life i mean they they your stories are all so have so many similar characteristics you right. were rail you pretty much railroaded into an abortion you felt like your right. your power to refuse was taken away from you you did not receive any care or counseling or 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 any doctor um to tell you uh how, to care for you. I mean, a real doctor to care for you. And and you right. never even met the doctor before. There was no aftercare. You were basically let 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 go of. You know, once right. they had it's you true. and when they were done with you, they they kind of released you out into the world to fend for yourself and every I mean, every guest that we have had on on our program has had a similar story where they were completely abandoned by um, a system that claimed to care so much about their rights and, and their bodies and, and I know. everything else, and, and I know. It was just the opposite is true. Um, yeah. So I, I want to thank you so much for coming on uh, our program to tell us about your journey and your ministry of healing. And I mean, as much as, as much as as much as as many people as you serve. I, you know i i am so i think about all the many women just probably just today who have gone through an abortion who will need you tomorrow and probably tenfold what you Bye. are doing um so let me let me end our interview by praying for you, our heavenly Father, thank you so much for reclaiming royal Ministry uh, royalty ministries with um polytali you know head, heading up such an important work, Lord, I I pray that you give her an increase, Lord, and her story will go far and wide to touch the hearts of many, many women who have undergone abortion and need healing, and I pray more importantly, or just as importantly, that her story will reach the ears of women who are contemplating abortion. And help them to understand they have the power to walk away from abortion. they do not have to feel forced into killing the life within just because somebody else says it would be better if they did um I thank you so much. I pray that you give her um just the blessings of of successfully mm-hmm. seeing lives healed. And having the blessing of being in that process, and I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit, Your Holy Spirit, will come in and make that a spirit-filled ministry. And I thank you for Pat also being part of part of that ministry. Um, and we uh, will be we'll What be thankful to come talk to her again. Uh, again, in Jesus' name, I pray, Lord. I, I thank you for all the blessings that you have given. In Jesus' name, thank
5: Amen. You. In Jesus'
2: name, and um, yes. So, what what can we is there is there something that we can? Where can people find Reclaiming Royalty Ministries? If they'll online, go to,
7: uh, okay, we have a website uh, that they can take a look at. It's uh, www dot reclaiming royalty dot com.
2: Awesome.
7: So, and we have a
2: Facebook. The- oh, go ahead. I'm
7: sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, well, we also have a Facebook that we have. Uh, I have a writer that is, she's awesome. And so we have the Reclaiming Royalty Facebook that you could go on and like because we'd like okay. to put, um, Christian uh, sayings on there. We go to the word and, and give people the word for the day. Uh, it's just as encouragement for others. And if there's prayer requests, the descended prayer request, and we'll pray for them. So um, you can also go to our Facebook and see Reclaiming Royalty.
2: Wonderful. And this is now, not just for women with abortion uh, experience.
7: It's not because, I, I, right, because I've I've dealt with more than just abortion, and you find that many women who have had abortion go through depression,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
7: they've been raped, there's domestic violence, I've witnessed that, uh, and many more things that, you know, um, they deal with, and so I don't want to exclude anyone who needs healing, and you know, needs to be prayed for, and they can be helped. I don't want to do that. And God Mm. brings them to us. God brings them to us. Beautiful. So we're going to have an event October the 12th, uh, which is Sheriff St. Louis Day. And this is, I'm so excited, it's going to be at Zion uh, City Church, which is in the inner city.
5: Mhm.
7: And so we're gonna have a complete uh day uh full of events for these women, many of them who um, you know, are very um low income, may not have a job, uh, just want to be loved on and pampered and um just treated well. And as I s and you said, all everyone to me, God loves us all. And he wants us Amen. all to know Jesus. And, and and you meet people right where they are. I think Thomas said that. You know, you meet people right where they are. And then they grow. They're sanctified. They grow in salvation. And that's what we'd like to do is just meet them right where they are. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter who they are. God so loves them. And I just want them to right. just know, you know, that they're important and special.
2: Amen. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm sure if people want to show up on October 12th, they know how to reach you and get more right. information.
7: Thank you. And is Thomas uh,
2: left. <laughs> Thomas, uh, Thomas is on mute right now. I, he's on his way somewhere, so he's actually on the road. Okay. <laughs>
7: Oh, okay. Uh, but,
2: okay. But uh, if you if you say goodbye to him, I'm sure he'll he'll hear you. <laughs> okay. Goodbye, Thomas. I'm All glad right. I met you. Oh, uh, well, it was. Gr- I I think um that's one thing that Thomas and I do agree on. We do really need to pull together as one large pro life community because I think only then with unified voices. Uh, we can we can finally defeat legal abortion in this country.
4: And I, agree, uh, I,
2: think, I, agree. I think that's worth pursuing. It's worth pursuing. Thank I you so you. much, Paula. We will talk to you thank again. You. Okay, thank, thank you. Okay, so thank you. Bye. We are going to take a You're quick just... break, and I will be right back. If you want to call into the Pro-Life Fridays radio program, the number to call in is 760-542-3907. We'll be back right at the, at the other side of this break. And welcome back to Pro Life Fridays Radio in our last segment. Oh, I get to have a little more fun. All right, so you've been waiting for the from the beginning of the show. I said there was a gun issue that was related to the World War II veteran story. So what's this about guns and teens that the murdered World War II veteran Delbert Bill, Delbert Benton? What is this? Well. Wow. Anti-gun liberals who have whined incessantly that our violent crime stats are so high due to legal gun ownership are strangely silent. Where is the push now to ban mag lights? Now, maglights, and we've all probably seen one, those, the big ones especially. They're, they're like metal pipes with a light on one end. That's what they are. I don't know what kind of flashlight Gilbert Benton was—Benton—I'm going to say this wrong all night long. Was murdered with, but all this to say that there are flashlight brands out there that make pretty good deadly weapons. But you don't hear an absurd cry to ban flashlights just because someone might use one to commit a murder. Oh, but guns, Letitia. Guns are made for shooting people. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Abortion instruments are made for killing unborn children. And Diane Feinstein doesn't seem to want any restrictions on the use of those things. So what's your point? Guns are weapons for shooting people? Well really? Well then when I go to the range and I shoot a piece of paper, is that an illegitimate use of a firearm? People can't go shoot targets, go so go shoot cans, bottles, fruit. Or whatever else they can think of that is not another human being. Uh, this that story, you know, that aspect kind of goes brushes up so close to uh, the stupidest thing ever, but it's not quite there. But I'll give you another example that is just just as stupid as this: the, the teacher this week. Again, so much happened this week. The teacher in Atlanta who talked a man who carried guns into an Atlanta school uh, to give them up is being praised by the left as an example of how guns aren't needed anywhere just because just because guns weren't used to stop a potential shooter in this instance. Well, now let me ask, what if that man were Adam Lanza? Adam Lanza, who you might remember, the shooter in Newtown, Connecticut, entered that school to shoot kids. There was no talking to that guy because he looked at the deaths he caused, the shootings he caused, as points he was racking up before he took himself out. We're not guaranteed that any potential shooter can be talked out of doing something violent. We can't even take that risk because people's babies are in schools. And parents don't want school officials to take chances with gunmen. I know, because I have babies in school. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad that it worked out peacefully in Atlanta. I mean, let me wipe my forehead now. I am glad that it worked out, that the gunman gave up his guns, and whatever he had planned to do or whatever didn't take place if he indeed he was there to shoot somebody. But where anyone gets off generalizing that teachers don't need to be armed, guns should be banned, et cetera, et cetera, that is a dangerous, dangerous failure of logic.
5: Because you
2: can't carry around a policeman with you on, on your back wherever you go to protect you. And indeed, even in New York, especially in Detroit, the police will tell you today that their job is not to protect and to serve. Their job is to take statements after a crime has been committed. Hopefully, God willing, that it isn't a a violent crime that lands you in the hospital or even dead. It doesn't even have to be by gunshot. You can be beaten to death with a flashlight, for goodness' sakes. So it is not about banning guns, and we you know, and this is this is all to say, this is an example of how we have gotten so far out of reason and logic. And I think it started with, hold on, all right, it started with our belief in and understanding that human life is disposable from our conception. How can we possibly defend life at any other age or stage when we first can't defend life and won't defend life from the very beginning? So the stupidest thing ever, everybody wants to talk about Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck! And his new role, upcoming role as Batman... And you know, when I heard that, I did what everybody did—like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they picked Ben Affleck. Affleck, all right, Affleck. Yeah, he's he's kind of a cheesy actor. I think he did a fabulous job in Argo, and he ought to kind of stick to those kind of roles. But hey, I spend a lot of time. I spend a lot of time on this show talking about objective moral values on this show and how things like abortion is a matter of objective moral values. With movies and actors and who you think is cheesy and not good enough for this role and awful for this role and blah, 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 have at it. I'm I'm a total moral relativist when it comes to who should act in a movie. Now, I'm not saying I like the idea that Ben Affleck is going to be Batman I think tons of other actors would be better. But ultimately, I'm a relativist about that. I don't care. All right, and it is the stupidest thing ever that they chose him, and it is also the stupidest thing ever that everybody is just freaking out. Have a good night, everybody. Please join us again next week for another Pro-Life Fridays radio program. We will see you then. Feel Like you wake up every day to watch your life slide right by. Here's a slipping.